Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. We are going to be discussing Throne of Glass by Sarah J. Mass, but first we have a special guest with us today. Uh, Stacey, do you want to introduce yourself? I do. Um, I'm Stacey. I run a TikTok account that these girls found me on. Um, I'm terribly sorry about that, by the way. Um, <laughs> you guys have weird taste. Um, I've always... <laughs> talk is a beautiful thing. Now I've always been a reader. Um, like most of us, I was a Potterhead as a kid and I think that just got me started and it's just bred a love of fantasy reading into me. I don't think you can find it in any other type of genre. But yeah, there's just something about fantasy and I love books in lots of different genres, but I just don't devour them the way I do a fantasy book. There's just an entire world that you get to consume and it, all its intricacies and its rules and I, yeah reading's about escapism and that's the best part so I don't think anything can offer that as well as what fantasy can and I have a good I have a great love of romance books as well but it's hard to swallow books about a great love sometimes when it's described in our world I can swallow that a little bit better if it's in a completely different world it's hard to read about earth-shattering love in our world but yeah in in fantasy books it makes complete sense to me I love the faded mates trope I can't really find that in contemporary romance or historical romance it tends to only work well in fantasy so yeah that's kind of how how I came to love fantasy reading I think can you can you share the name of your TikTok account yeah so it's stace book space no spaces and yeah, and I just ramble incoherently about um, different tropes that I like, usually in the fantasy genre, but also in romance, because I have a love of romance books as well. So um, yeah, it's it's completely nonsensical. There's absolutely no rhyme or reason to it. It's just me talking about um, things that I notice that pop up in books as tropes. And I just, I like to make parodies and making fun of them. I like involving my husband in that. And I'm confusing him thoroughly. I like comparing him to my book boyfriends. That's really fun. Um, yeah, that's kind of how it all got started. I think just I just thought I think I, I think I know enough about books that I could say something funny about it, and just thought that no one would watch it, and so that it it didn't matter if I posted if no one was going to watch it. I just post it and see what happened, and then um, lo and behold, people saw it. <laughs> and it's just gone from there and it's just so fun it's it's so nice to be able to put down everyday life for a little bit and escape into something else and that's why we read as well isn't it yeah so book yeah. talks just like another form of that I also just don't have that many people in my life that read as avidly as I do or perhaps not in the fantasy genre so that's just a place that I can find it is um on TikTok in our book talk community and I love it. It's great. We love it too. Your account is hysterical. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> it is. Good. It I'm, is so I'm, I'm absolutely baffled that people think so. 
Um, <laughs> but I'm really happy that they do. Yeah, it's great. I love them. Yeah, <laughs> they're so funny. Well, we are so glad that you have uh, been able to join us today. Me too. Uh, yeah, and we're excited. Vicky, do you wanna do you wanna take off with our characters and locations? Yes, I do. Okay. So, our main character in this is Selena Sardothian. She is the main female lead throughout the series. She's, she is originally from Terrasin, but was orphaned when the King of Adderlin attacked and destroyed her country. She was found by Aerobin, the King of Assassins, at the age of eight and was trained to be an assassin. Despite being only 18 years old, she is famous as the best assassin in the country. She is described as beautiful with golden hair and turquoise eyes that have a ring of gold around them. She has three long scars on her back from being whipped while she was working as a slave in the salt mines of Endeavor. She is cunning, deadly, brave, as well as arrogant, spoiled, and slightly bratty at times. She has a personal mantra of, my name is Selena Sardothian and I will not be afraid. Kale Westfall, he is one of the main male leads. He is captain of the Royal Guard and best friends with Dorian Havilyard, the Prince of Adderlin. In this book, he is assigned to be Selena's guard. He does not trust her, but slowly starts to like her throughout the book and kind of becomes her friend. He has a strong moral code that is tested throughout this book. He is described as being tall, ruggedly handsome with brown hair and copper brown eyes. We move on to Dorian Havilyard. He is the other male lead. He is the Prince of Adderlin. He is arrogant and known to be a flirt. However, he can also be compassionate. He is tired of court life and of his mother trying to marry him off. While he does not agree with what much, much of his father is doing, he also does not stand up to him. He longs for adventure and occasionally freedom from his role. He becomes close with Selena throughout the book. He is more trusting of her than Kale is and has an easier time of becoming her friend. He is described as being incredibly attractive with raven black hair and sapphire eyes. Nehemia Yitker, the princess of Ilwe. She comes to the palace under the pretense of learning the country's customs. However, she is also clever and fierce. She cares greatly for her people who are being oppressed and killed by the King of Adderlin. She and Selena quickly become friends and Selena tutors her. She is described as having long black hair worn in thin braids with brown eyes and creamy brown skin. The King of Adderlin, he is Dorian's father. He is cruel and wants to conquer the world. He is responsible for the fall of Terrasin, Selena's home country, as well as for the deaths of many rebels and civilians of Elway, Nahima's home country. The King has outlawed and destroyed magic. He is feared and hated by many. In this book, the King has arranged a competition to find his next champion, which is just a nicer way of saying assassin. He let the nobles pick the contestants. He is described as having a round shape and sharp eyes. There's not too much of a description because he does not like people looking directly at him and making eye contact. We have Duke Parrington. He is one of the villains in this book. He encourages violence where he can, like slaughtering people, including children. He chooses Cain, a cruel soldier, to be his champion. He is described as having black eyes, red thinning hair, and a sandy mustache. Then we have Caltaine Rompier, a lady of Adderlin. She wants to marry the prince and uses Duke Parrington to get close to Dorian. However, she is often thwarted by Selena and quickly dislikes her. She is mean to her because Dorian appears to favor her. 
She is described as strikingly beautiful with a thin waist, raven black hair, and night dark eyes. We have Elena Galathinius Havillard, the first queen of Adderlin, the wife of Gavin Havillard. She participated in the Demon War. She is buried in a tomb under the glass castle. In this book, she appears in a spirit-like form to Selena. She gives Selena warnings, as well as tells her that she needs to win the competition to become the king's assassin. She also gives her a request to destroy the evil in the castle. Finally, there's Knox and Paylor, um, two other champions that Selena befriends. They help each other out during the competition, despite that being frowned upon. We have several locations. So there's the country of Adderlin. Um, the capital is Rifthold, and this is where the palace, which is made of glass, is located. Uh, Terrasen, Selena's home country, um, is referenced, and that um, her country was destroyed by the king of Adderlin. And then Eelway, uh, Nahima's country, um, that the king of Adderlin is trying to conquer. Marissa, would you like to do our plot? I would love to do our plot. Fantastic. Yeah. So... <laughs> Throne of Glass begins with our main character, Selena Sardothian, being presented to Prince Dorian Havillard, the Prince of Adderlin, with an interesting proposal. The king, his father, needs a champion assassin to handle his dirty work and is hosting a competition where each of his ministers presents a candidate as the king's future champion. And over the course of a few months, they will compete until only one is left standing. Dorian wants Selena to be his champion. If she wins, after four years of servitude, she will be granted freedom and can do what she wants. If she loses and doesn't die in the process, she'll be returned to Indovir, a work-slash-death camp where she is currently serving as a slave after being tried and convicted as an assassin. Selena was notorious as Adderlin's assassin before being imprisoned and her identity remains a secret and will remain a secret through the competition. Instead, she will proceed as Lady Lillian, a jewel thief. She agrees to the prince's terms and is freed from Indovir and is moved to the king's palace where she is kept under heavy guard, supervised primarily by Hale Westfall, Dorian's best friend and captain of the king's guard. Once moved to the castle, she must face the king who was responsible for putting her in Indovir a year ago. Our girl Selena is fierce, but the king is intimidating as he was responsible for the death of her parents, the destruction of her homeland, Terrison, and declared magic to be illegal and set about slaughtering everyone who used magic. Selena begins training for the competition, but her body has been ravaged by poor nutrition, hard work, and poor living conditions while staying at Indovir. And while she still possesses many of her assassin skills, her endurance, strength, and stamina have suffered. Still a formidable opponent, Kale and Dorian instruct her to strike for middle ground in her performance in the trials to conceal her true skill. Though some of the other competitors exist as minor threats, one competitor in particular, Kane, exists as a real threat to Selena winning the whole competition. Kane is sponsored by the Duke Farrington, and the, who is the king's right-hand man, and Kane takes every opportunity to taunt Selena. Selena begins to carve out a sense of normalcy in her daily routine with training. Kale and Selena, Selena become a little more friendly with each other, though Kale still maintains a professional distance. However, Prince Dorian begins to develop feelings for Selena. 
Unlike many of the women at court, Selena shows very little regard for his royal position and she teases and banters with him, which draws him to her. Selena also finds a new friend in Princess Nehemia Yitger of Ioway when she arrives in Adderland to learn more of the common tongue and more about Adderland. Nehemia and Selena bond when Selena, who is the only one at the castle fluent in Nehemia's language, is able to converse with her. And they become even closer when Selena agrees to tutor her in the common tongue for an hour each day. Meanwhile, strange things are happening in the castle and champions begin disappearing only to be found brutally murdered shortly after several of the, or shortly before several of the trials. Selena finds this suspicious and begins to seek out more information on word marks, which are unique markings that she's discovered around a clock tower near the castle, as well as around the body of several of the eviscerated champions. Selena discovers more oddities in the castle after realizing that within her chamber is a secret door to hidden tunnels which leads her to the burial chambers of Elena, the first queen of Terrison, who was married to Gavin, the first king of Adderland, uh, the princess of Terrison, who was married to Gavin, the first king of Adderland. That night, in a dream, Elena appears to Selena in corporeal form, despite being dead for a super long time. And she tells Selena that she must become the king's champion because Aralia, their continent, needs her. Selena continues to do well in the trials the champions must compete in. However, competitors continue to turn up dead with suspicious word marks surrounding their bodies. Selena resolves to go to the library late one evening to discover more books on word marks when she runs into Nehemia, who she finds reading a book that is way above her reading level. Nehemia reveals that she has no issues with reading or speaking the common tongue and walks away from Selena, who feels confused and betrayed over Nehemia being dishonest with her. It's nearly Yule Moss and a big ball is planned. Selena, feeling suspicious that Nehemia may be involved with the contestants' murders, becomes concerned that Nehemia may attempt to hurt the people attending the ball, and so Selena resolves to sneak into the ball which she does successfully and is swept into a night of dancing with Prince Dorian. They dance all night and at the end of the evening share a passionate kiss. Selena and Dorian's attraction toward each other during the ball does not go unnoticed, particularly by a young lady, Caltaine Rompier, who has her sights set on marrying Dorian. She is also being courted by the Duke of Parrington, and though she does not especially like him, he does ply her with pretty expensive things. The Duke is not fond of Selena either, either and because she poses a threat to his champion, Kane, and so the Duke convinces Caltaine to help him with poisoning Selena at the final duel between the competitors to ensure that Kane wins. Caltaine overcome by her jealousy, agrees. Suspicious deaths are still occurring and Selena decides to, to venture into the hidden chambers connected to her room again. Once there, she follows a dark tunnel to a landing where she hears voices. She discovers Cain chanting and realizes that he has sacrificed some of his blood and used word marks to summon a monster, the Ritterac, the beast that has been killing the other competitors. With this beast, Kane has been able to harvest the strength of the competitors that he has killed, making himself stronger. 
Kane realizes that Selena is present and traps her in a room with the Ritterac. And though she's able to escape and kill the beast, it bites her and poisons her. She makes it back to her room where Nahemia rushes in and is able to save her. When Selena wakes after being poisoned, she uh, explains to Nahemia the true identity, uh, her true identity as Adarlan's assassin, how she came to be a champion in this competition and the details of the competition and the distress that she felt for Nahemia resolves. The day of the duel arrives with Selena and Kane being the final competitors left in the competition. They toast each other before they begin their duel and clever Caltain has laced Selena's wine with a poison that is meant to disorient and impair Selena. Her performance against Kane rapidly deteriorates and Kane beats up Selena but does not attempt to kill her or end the duel. It becomes clear that he is toying with her. The poison causes Selena to hallucinate and she is able to see between worlds where she can see beasts of shadow with and without wings around Cain and even Cain seems to transform into one of these monsters. So will Selena be killed by Cain or will she find a way to defeat him and become the king's champion? What are these bizarre monsters? What's going to happen to our girl? Spoilers abound. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to know what's going to happen, then you probably should consider not listening to the rest at this time, but come back when you've read it. Or if you love spoilers like me, you should keep listening. You like spoilers, Marissa? <laughs> I love spoilers. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't stand them. I, I can't. I can't do it without them. I get to run from them like they're the plague. <laughs> if I'm scrolling less... on TikTok and your TikTok has spoilers as one of the titles, you best believe that I'm going to scroll right on past. I don't even know what book they're talking about and I'm gone. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Just in case it might be something you want to read one day. <laughs> I love spoilers. I can't, I can't do, I can't do it without them. I have always been the type of person that would like skip ahead and find out what was going to happen so I could start emotionally preparing. Right. Okay. So. Defense mechanism spoiling. So do you yes. go to the last like chapter of the book before you start reading or do you just skip ahead like a little bit? Um, it depends. So like I read Assassin's Blade today for the first time and I knew that Sam was going to die. And so uh I asked Vicky what was gonna happen and she texted me the rundown because I couldn't I couldn't handle the like the emotional turmoil. So depending on what's happening in the book, I will definitely skip to the end of it to find out who's gonna be dead or right to like protect <laughs> yourself. Wow, to like yes. to protect yourself from the shock of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't like to feel I don't like to feel <laughs> <laughs> just period. I don't like to feel <laughs> Okay, that makes more sense to me now. <laughs> yes. I understand that a bit better now. I've never understood people who purposely read spoilers before they go and read a book or watch a movie. Yeah. It's always baffled me. But now that makes more sense. Pretty also, it could just have something to do with that like with my cold, dead soul that I'm just like, no, just whatever happens, happens and we'll all be fine. <laughs> so Stacey, you want to go first? What was your first thought when you first read Throne of Glass? So this is my second read through of Throne of Glass, but I, the first time 
I read it. It was only, it was maybe a year and a half ago. So it wasn't even that long ago anyway. But I just remember loving Kale. I loved Kale. This time, not so much. Like he didn't impress me as much and I don't know what it is. I think the first time around I pegged him, like I just shipped Kale and Selena. Whereas this time I was like, mm, nah, there's better out there for you. <laughs> um, and also I the first time I read Selena, I just thought she's this badass. I just loved her. I thought she was great. I loved that they started in um, the death camp because I think that's such an important part of her setup. Um, and so the first time I read it through, her sort of inner monologue didn't annoy me at all. She's only 18, so that made sense to me. This time, I think because I sort of know what happens in the rest of the story, I got a little bit fed up with her, like, you know, her brattiness and her vanity. But I don't think, I, I kind of think that's a credit to the author because she's sort of staying true to um, Selena's age. Like she's supposed mm-hmm. to be bratty and vain because that's what we all were when we were 18, mm-hmm. even if she is an assassin. So, yeah, first impressions. Lo- shipped Kale and Selena. Loved Selena, everything about Selena. I just embodied her. And I just, I loved I love that Assassin's Blade is available so that you get to see the backstory, but that's a story for a different time because I love hearing about like where she came from and how she comes into the competition and like, you know, her standing point in the beginning. Marissa, what were your first thoughts? So I I think I was a Dorian shipper the first time I read this book. And then the second time I found all of the men in this book to be dirtbags. (laughs) (laughs) that's fair I was (laughs) was really like wanting to shift the relationship between Selena and Nehemia so like that 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 female friendship was like the best part and like my favorite part in this story especially because um Selena has had such a hard time she's just been burned so many times um in friendships and so I I just love all of her interactions with Nehemia I think I do think the first time that I was a Dorian shipper and there were still moments when I was reading it that this time it's like man this guy's super slick (laughs) (laughs) doesn't he just remind you of every guy that you met when you were 18 no yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's what was so that's what repelled me from him I was like oh go away. Like I know your story. Yeah. I'm not interested in buying your herbal tablets. Like, please go away. Get back to your pyramid scheme. I don't want to meet your mom. Yeah. 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 So that's, I, I, yeah, I was, I was super drawn in um, the first time on my first read. And even in this read, like I, we're, we're not going to discuss the next book for I think two weeks and I'm dying, not jumping into the second one right now. So yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So super, super intrigued. And even on the second read, Vicki, what are, what are your, what are your first thoughts about this book? So the first time I read it, I was uh, a kale shipper (laughs) as well. And then I read it again. I'm like, I don't like either of you people. (laughs) You are both awful. They are. <laughs> maybe maybe we all matured between reads or something. Like what's happened? Maybe. 
we just know we know what's out there yeah I think that's it. <laughs> we know what's coming yeah <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite things about doing this reread was catching all of the little things that we'll find out later, mm-hmm. you know, because this is this is only the second time I read it. So going back and being like, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen later with that. That was fun for me. Yeah. Yes. Same there. And there were so many things like she mentions the black rings so many times in the first read. I was like, black rings. What is that? And then this time I was like, the black rings and the headaches and the, like all of the things. I was like, Oh gosh, this is significant. (laughs) I did the exact same thing. It's funny. Sarah J. Mass is such a master at like setting it up brick by brick that way and not making it obvious. Sometimes you'll read series and those kind of little underlying things that the author sets up in book one and book two you can tell that they're there for a reason that something will happen with them later on Mm -hmm. and so you just sit waiting for them to become evident Mm -hmm. but Sarah J Mass is so good at like sneaking them in there you don't realize it until later on that's what I kind of love about her writing Mm -hmm. yes same um, her other series a guitar is the same way we did yeah. so that was the first series that we covered in the podcast and it was the second read for both of us or second or third read for both of us now the second read it's like you catch so much stuff that you like in the first read you're just processing like I'm just taking all this in but in the second read it's like oh yeah matters. exactly yeah because yeah. didn't everyone read like I know I did I read I re- only read Akita because I got onto, I started watching book talk videos and people were obsessed with it. And I was like, well, I must read. I love mm-hmm. Throne of Glass. So I started reading it and read the first book and was like, that was so boring. Why are people going nuts over this book? But you have to read that. You have to like, you have to give it some time because it, it's like a necessary thing that you have to go through to get to the fantastic parts. Mm-hmm. And Throne of Glass is, somewhat similar in that way although I do like the first Throne of Glass book better than what I how I reacted to the first Akita book I think yeah there's definitely a lot of um in in the first I would say probably the first two books in this series there's a lot of setup for I mean it's just like a like a catalyst I guess at some point in the second book for everything that happens in the rest of the series and so she does a lot of like world building and setting the stage for everything that will happen and she does that a lot in a guitar as well yeah for sure I I think we could all agree that Kale doesn't sit quite as well on the second read as he did on the first read what do you what is it about him is it like so he comes off as super self-righteous to me uh, yeah for sure it, he's he's very straighty 180 you know like he's very mm-hmm. by the book and that at first that was like my um I don't know I was like oh enemies to lovers fantastic I love good enemies to lovers mm-hmm Kale and Selena are going to be perfect together they'll fight and then they'll eventually fall in love and it'll be great but it didn't eventuate into anything throughout the book obviously because of Dorian Mm -hmm. but then I thought it will in the next book but I don't know is he's so self-righteous and why does he continuously have to talk about the fact that he's so surprised that she's so skilled despite being a girl like it why does he have to add that on the end to everything yes yeah 
Yeah. I don't understand like why he's surprised in general. Like they, they, she was Adderlin's assassin. Like what? Yes. <laughs> How do you think she got that reputation? Like he's, he's still surprised towards the yeah. end of the book. It, it yeah. baffles me and it's so irritating they bring both of them bring up that she's female several times and every single time I'm like um can we not just acknowledge that she's amazing because she's like murdered so many people like she's amazing she murdered all these people it doesn't matter yeah. if she's a girl yeah exactly and but I wonder if if um Sarah J Mass is just clever in planting those seeds there mm-hmm. to you know, make it easy for us later on. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. She she is very clever. At she me. is, yeah, I think so too. I think she's clever she's like that. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like if we could just, you know, if they could just say every now and then that she's very skilled without having to mention, but that she's also a girl and that she's also beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like you can be more than one thing as a girl. You don't mm-hmm. have to be like skilled or beautiful. You can be both. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. That was when they first get her out of the salt mines and they're talking about how she's like really dirty and she smells bad. I was like, what? Bro, like, <laughs> she's been in a salt mine. <laughs> Which, by the way, wouldn't be a problem, you know, if your father didn't enslave people and not provide them with access with ways to clean themselves. But, you know, whatever. Sure. <laughs> I love how they pass judgment on her like that when they first see her though like he kind of looks over doesn't he isn't there a point where he looks over and goes oh she's not that bad like he looks over her body and everything and she's like oh she's a bit worse for wear but you know she'll do she'll be okay I'm like sir up there on your stupid throne like you go work in the salt mines for a little bit and we'll see how you fare isn't it funny when feminists read fantasy books and we get on our high horses about this stuff (laughs) Yes, there were so many times with the like I just could not with these men. I had no patience. At one point, so Selena. At one point, um, she like it's been three or so months, and she's like gained weight because she's been fed, um, and and she starts her period, and she is like in agony with menstrual cramps. And, and Dorian walks in and he's like, she's like, I'm dying. And he's like, oh, it can't be that bad. You want to play uh, cards? Like, I, could I wanted to throw the book. Mm-hmm. Yes. You would say it. that, Dorian. <laughs> <laughs> Even Kale's reaction to it irked me as well. Like, oh, ca- yeah, poor he- captain of the guard. Be gone, sir, if you can't handle it. Yeah. Please leave. Yeah, he, like, be my guest. He runs out of the room when he finds out why it is. But like before, when she throws up on him, he's like, "Oh no, you're sick!" and like goes yeah. over to comfort her. And then he finds out that she's on her period and is like, "Oh no, run from the menstruation!" <laughs> oh my god, that that's such a good point. Actually, I hadn't considered that. Not deterred by vomit, is deterred by menstruation. Runs from it. Beware the red tide. Oh my god. <laughs> the bears can smell it. Oh That's so funny. That whole that whole scene made me angry, but it didn't make me angry the first time I read it through. I remember just thinking like, ah, classic response from classic men, especially, you know, men who are like, how old are they? 21 years old or what have you. Yeah. But this time I'm like, grow up. Yeah. 
yeah which is absolutely irrational of me but (laughs) (laughs) I have matured since I've read this book why haven't you (laughs) you should have matured I was ready I had my palm cards ready I had my chart with a picture of a uterus on it I was like let me tell you a thing or two about menstruation boys sit down be quiet no blushing we're gonna talk it out Vicky did you make this note about the king's sword yes so I'm so glad that you brought this up (laughs) so names are super important in this book which um Nehemia says well, she does, she says something about it. It's actually one of my quotes, but anyway, um, mm-hmm. names come up a lot in this book and his sword is named what I believe is pronounced basically nothing, right? Yeah, or like no, no, no thung, no thung, no thung. No thung. right. No thung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and it's interesting because we don't hear the king's name at all. So I thought this was really oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that becomes a big thing in the series. Mm-hmm. Mm. You are astute, Victoria. Yeah, <laughs> point. You get points for that. Yeah, I just—I was just glad you brought it up because I was like, "That's a stupid name." <laughs> like, that was that was the only comment that I had on that. <laughs> um, I tried to look up the like if there was any type of history or background about this name because Sarah J Mass is really clever about working like mythological stuff like into her story so like in a guitar yeah like the 80s Persephone vibe and, and things like that and so I tried to look this up to see if there was some type of significance related to this and then I couldn't really find anything but I did right. just realize that if you break this up the word is not hung and so maybe it just means that the king has a small penis and is compensated. <laughs> and, that's why, and that's why he's such a dick in this story. <laughs> I think that's the one that we need to go with. Let's go down. Yes. That's better than my take. Perpetuate it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Vicky. I think you made another note about so Elena. Did, so Elena, did she? come off as suspicious to y'all when you first or second read the, I guess it's different on second read and first read so Selena is just kind of on guard with Elena to begin with which I mean you know if like this bizarre dead corporeal person appeared to you in dreams and gave you a necklace like that's you should be suspicious of that um, <laughs> yeah that's kind of strange um did she put you on guard like did she put you on guard the first time or you were like, yes, somebody to help this poor girl? Yeah. Um, it didn't, it didn't put me on guard the first time. Because, and I think it's because Selena openly admitted that she was untrustworthy and suspicious of it. And sometimes when a character does that straight off the bat towards another character in the book, it makes you go, oh, they probably are trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And you'll learn that as the story progresses. So I think that's probably why I went, no, this person's probably fine. It's when the character trusts them right off the bat and they think everything's okay, that makes me go, mm, is this person going to stab you in the back? Mm-hmm. So first read through, no, I didn't get that vibe. I thought this person, I thought uh, Elena's ghost or spirit or whatever it is that she is, was going to be a good character. Yeah, I had no suspicions on my first read at all. And I mean, in in real life, if I was approached by a ghost, though, anyway, I'd probably be like, yeah, let's let's go do ghost things. 
<laughs> I would not have that reaction. Nope. He's like, uh, I'm gonna uh, get some sage right this second. <laughs> For sure. I start googling local exorcists. Like there'll be, yeah. Oh, it'll just be a raging panic. But Vicky loves, like Vicky embraces scary stuff and ghosts and things like that. So I, that that seems like an on an on brand response for you, Vicky. <laughs> I love I love reading ghost stories and I love I love watching scary movies and that sort of thing. But it's similar to me roasting certain characters in any book that I read for not being a certain way or doing a certain thing when I know full well that I am a weak bitch who needs so much emotional support in everyday life and has no place criticizing any characters whatsoever for their choices like this is the same thing I will watch scary movies and I will read scary stories and act like it's all fine but if anything like that if there's a creepy noise in my house I'm waking my husband up (laughs) and like sending him roaming around the house to find it like I'm a sook Good on you, Victoria. <laughs> I support your ghost hunting. On the subject of Kane, then, let's talk a little bit about him. Okay. Uh, so I thought he was interesting. So normally with our villains, we get some sort of like backstory and motive and stuff. And he really doesn't have one other than like being a strong soldier, you know, that yeah. now is evil. Um, so I just, I found that interesting about him and cause Duke Parrington is really behind, behind him, yeah. um, and just using him as a puppet. And I found that just, I don't know. I just found it interesting that we didn't really get much about him at all, mm-hmm. even though he was like still just a puppet. I feel like we normally get something. And yeah. Didn't. And there wasn't a hell of a lot of dialogue that happened between Kane and Selena either which was interesting because usually there'd be a lot more of that between you know the main villain I guess he's not the main villain but do you know what I mean between the villain and the protagonist and there really wasn't many scenes with both of them actually interacting um one-on-one and then there was that one really bizarre scene where he like Selena's in the hallway I think and Kane pops up and he's like reaching for her or something and then he like dashes away it's like what's happening here I remember I remember like the first time that I read that through just being absolutely confused yeah I'm still a little confused was he like trying to make her his next victim but it was like no no it's too soon I'll save this one for later yeah I would have liked a little more insight on that too just to know kind of what was going through his head was it something he was even fighting maybe a little bit yeah see that's what I wondered too if it was like he he like had this moment of lucidity where he was like fighting what I mean because obviously Duke Parrington and Kane has the black ring on so and we know with the black rings down the road it's a thing and so did he have this moment where it was like ah I'm breaking free and then it fell apart I don't know. It was, I remember the first time I read it through going, I have to read the second book now because that scene as well as a couple of others are obviously part of something bigger than the story. Yeah. Well, if we're going to talk about people that are being manipulated by Duke Parrington, let's talk about Caltain. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You sound excited. (laughs) I have such mixed feelings about her. Does anyone feel a bit sympathetic towards her the second time around? Because I did. The first time I was like, oh, what a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, second time. If I didn't 
if I didn't know, if I didn't have the knowledge about her going forward that I have now, I, I, I mean, just knowing what happens taint, like affects my perspective of her. But this time I was like, oh, girl, yeah. you're being manipulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Her getting more information about her backstory would have been cool as well. Like we were kind of alluded to where, like, you know, where she came from and how Mm. she was raised and how she came to be in the court, but it wasn't covered at length because she's only a side character. Right. But she would have been interesting to learn more about as well and why she is the way that she is, because she just has that one goal that she's Mm -hmm. set towards and she's willing to do anything to obtain it but that has to come from somewhere right so she would have been a cool character to learn more about in this book yeah one of the things that I like about I guess her sort of just about her story is um she's trying to manipulate all these people right she's thinking that she's manipulating the duke you know to try to get her way to Dorian and the whole time she's being manipulated and not realizing it Um, yeah and I feel like she's just out of her depth with this and so on my second read I felt bad for um you know knowing what was coming and stuff yeah because even with her bad intentions they're not Mm -hmm. as bad as the other villains in the story you know they're pretty like they're pretty low level she just wants she wants safety and security and and wealth I suppose as well but that comes from her background in having nothing so that is more understandable than the motives of Duke Parenton or the King or um, whoever else. So I was more sympathetic towards her this time around. And the scene where Duke Parenton turns to her and just throws her under the bus, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, girl, you <laughs> poor thing. So we have some pretty insensitive comments that are made by Kale and Dorian in this book. Right, so these um, champions start getting killed and like really brutally killed. You know, their insides are outside, their brains Brains are are sucked out, out. like brutally killed. And Dorian just goes, it's a bar fight. (laughs) (laughs) What? And he said, there's like two mentions of that. And I was like, still, you still think that it's just a bar? What bar fights are you involved in, Crown Prince, that you think this is what happens? (laughs) People don't rip each other's brains out in bar fights. That's not what happens. They don't? That's not a That's thing? That's exactly the kind of response that he would have. He'd sit there and go, really? Is that not, is that not what you guys do when you go to bars? And that then, was annoying. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. annoying to read. And then there's, um, there's a scene where Kale and Selena, Selena are talking. Um, and I think she's talking about the scars on her back. And Kale asks her what she did to deserve to be whipped. And Selena says, first of all, nobody deserves to be whipped by an animal. <laughs> I'm like, yes, girl, you tell him. I'm like, yeah. oh, that, that just blew all over me. And I, I, some, these are not comments that are happening, but like everybody's super casual about all the slaves that are around. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Like, you have a problem with Selena, the murderer, or like the assassin, who, I mean, it's, it's her occupation. Let's get real. But slaves are cool? Like, okay. I don't know. That was not consistent through the story. They had guards surrounding her, and they're like, we're very worried that you're an assassin, 
and you might go on a killing spree at any moment. But that didn't hold through the whole story. It kind of just like dipped and came back in certain places and then it went away when it was convenient. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that sort of element was particularly well written. I could understand that a bit better if it was the security around her was super tight to begin with and it eventually like slowly laxed because they began to trust her a bit more. That's not really how it went. There were times where they were like, no, you're fine to walk about with the princess from a, you know, a different country. And it was like, what? What do you mean? But she can't go to a ball. She can't go to the feast where the guards can, I just, yeah. yeah. I was so frustrated with them keeping her from the parties and the balls. Like the other champions could go. I just. Yeah. And yeah. Who, which consisted of other assassins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other assassins. Yep. It didn't make it would make sense to me if they said no you're an assassin you cannot go to this feast or this ball but it didn't make sense that they didn't have the same rules for the others mm-hmm. why not Actually. just keep them <laughs> locked away as well yeah i think it was sometimes it was like oh well just with kale there you know she doesn't need all her extra guards i'm wondering if with um nehemia because she has her own guards maybe that was the logic behind it or if there even was any logic behind it and it was just the yeah that was <laughs> really I don't know but I, I noticed that too I like there's one scene where she um like because you talked about the balcony it made me think so she's eavesdropping um off the balcony and she overhears I think it's um I think it's Caltaine okay. something. yeah about her being a harlot <laughs> <laughs> and she pushes the um a flower pot to try, yeah. to, to try to get her that would have yeah. solved so many issues mm-hmm. <laughs> could have just taken her out right at the start just take it just, just take her on out yeah blame it on the flower pot so i think vicky you made this note about her attempted escape from in in dovier um and how she so that she attempts to escape and makes it like so so close to the wall mm-hmm and when she's telling the story to Dorian, he's like, yeah, big deal. <laughs> and she, she looks to the guards and she's like, how far do people usually make it when they try to escape? And they're like three steps. Like it's so, it's so significant. And it, and then it became like, I feel like she's just, just consistently underestimated throughout this entire book, which baffles me because her accomplishments are just outstanding. Um, this is one of those early situations where we run into like her, being so ferocious and being underestimated by the people who have selected her to be their champion. Like you would think that they would be, they would have better awareness of that if Dorian selected her to be his. I don't know. I think you can draw a lot of parallels between that and what it's like to be a woman in a corporation in Mm -hmm. our world. Like even when you're selected, even when you're, you've proven yourself, Mm-hmm. um capable you still are forced to prove yourself time and time and time again yes despite mm-hmm. that thing as a woman because there's always this underlying current of of but but she's a woman like she's yes. a pretty good ceo for a woman mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like it, it, and that kind of reminded me of selena like she's she's the world's deadliest assassin and they know that 
they selected her because of that and yet they're still like oh so what you you know you ran for a war you didn't make it though so calm down Selena you know sit down you didn't make the wall stop gloating yeah that's an excellent parallel very good point that's yeah uh, yeah, I got on my little feminist high horse there. Sorry about that. I love that. Yes, I <laughs> embrace that. that. We are all for that. You just we embrace are. those moments. Yes. <laughs> I find it interesting. Kale seems like interested in her virginity. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was weird. Oh. So he asks her, not quite outright, whether or not she was raped in End of Year, right? Yeah. And yeah. he's like, oh, well, you were never... And she was like, no, nobody messed with me sort of thing. But she thinks maybe Arabin um, paid, paid people off. But, and then later on, um, when he catches Dorian in her room, he has a thought and he's like, I'm fairly certain that she's a virgin. And he's like, what? why does that matter at all? Yeah, exactly. Like you're still in her room, love, you know? Yeah. Like you're still yeah. trapped into her room while she's sleeping, yes. whether she's a virgin or not. And also you decided that because she wasn't raped in Indovia, that means that she's a virgin. Yeah. Yeah. That comment irritated me as well. It felt unnecessary. But then I thought, is that just his character, his young character talking like, or is that something that the author missed that she probably shouldn't have included? I don't know. It's hard sometimes to go, is this just, the author trying to show this character or is that the author's voice mm-hmm. showing yeah yeah um I, I think kale he definitely comes off as like the like the savior mentality type of like he, i get the vibe that he wants yeah. to people and help people um and so and he's at that point starting to develop a sort of like tentative fondness for selena and so he knows what Dorian is like, which really doesn't say a whole lot for Dorian, um, but he knows what Dorian's like. And so I, in part, I wondered if that was him sort of like trying to be a guardian or protective of Selena. Well, they're both perpetuating themselves as good guys. Yeah. So I think that's why mm-hmm. it rubs us the wrong way. If it was a story about a, a hostage in a dungeon with overseers who were, you know, really, I don't know, formidable then it would make sense that they're breaking into her, you know, the place that she's mm-hmm. being kept hostage while she's sleeping. But it didn't make sense in this part because they're both, you know, they're both putting themselves out there as though they are these good guy saviors. Yeah. So when they both turn up in her room with her asleep and then remain there for a certain amount of time, yeah, me as the reader, even the first time I read through it, was like, what are you two doing? Get out. <laughs> <laughs> And they don't. They just stand there and have a chat about her virginity for a little bit. Yeah. And then Kale's like, get out of here. Yeah. But then linger, like he stays. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, but you get out. Yeah. You get out. <laughs> Both of you leave. This is weird. <laughs> I like this note that one of you made about when Kale is like, you like to read and just being shocked that she has any level of intelligence at yeah. all. Isn't that great? Like, how do you think she got to be where she is? Like, she's <laughs> probably more educated than you are. I mean, she can speak multiple languages and she's been all over the world. It's like, oh, you can, you like books? <laughs> like real books? Like, like you enjoy reading? Like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Kale. Like, 
setting the bar really low there, fella. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder why I shipped them at all in the, my first read through. I the more know. I talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I had. I'm I had, saddened by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had I had so much salt coming into the second read. <laughs> wow, this is this is gonna come off really critical of these characters. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that Kale was kind of a dirtbag for most of the book, but he he gets a couple of points I think when Selena is battling Kane and. She gets knocked down and and Kale tells her to get up again. Yeah. That was <laughs> um, so emotional. It was. Like mm-hmm. they they're they're like there's like the chalk line between their fingertips, and he's like inching his fingertips toward the chalk line on his side, and Selena's inching her fingertips toward the chalk side chalk line on her side, and he's like, get up. Get, and like, meanwhile, Dorian's just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I should put a stop to this. I should put a stop to this. I'm like, do something. Okay. <laughs> and then and then later he's like, I just feel so bad because I didn't do anything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the voice that he would have used as well. <laughs> oh my God, I should have done something. I feel I just so feel bad. bad. Like so many bruises and her shoulder hurts. I should have stopped that from oh. happening. He was literally gonna kill you when I did nothing. <laughs> so sorry. Bad person. I was scared of my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's so funny. <laughs> True yeah. though. And yeah, Kale did um twinge the heartstrings a bit in that scene. Yeah. Dorian. So Dorian and Selena kiss. And it's, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty impact, like passionate kiss. And it's, I really like it for Selena because I think, you know, um, when you think of like how important tactile interactions with other, like just touch, just being touch is for, touch is for like development and emotional regulation and things like that. Selena has been in this um, mine death camp for a year basically on high alert the whole time so super high levels of stress there Um, and really probably not experiencing a lot of affectionate touch beyond the people who like helped with cleaning and dressing the wounds on her back which in that light that in that environment that type of touch must have been so impactful for her Um, but she she has this moment with Dorian where she has touch with him and it is affectionate Um, and so I don't, Dorian bothers me because he's interacted with her like three times. He's like, I think I love her. Um, (laughs) But for her, I like this moment because she, she's getting that type of physical feedback from somebody. And I think that that's so important. Um, Just in terms, just in terms of like your body's response to physical feedback and what it does for you. So I agree. And she does mention a couple of times before that how she'd very much like to kiss him, but Mm -hmm. doesn't speak about her feelings necessarily towards him other than just saying things like, just flippant things like, I think I like him. Or, you know, like her inner monologue is very like casual towards the boys. But she does mention a couple of times, like, I think I want to kiss him. And I think that rings true with what you just said, Marissa, where she's just like seeking like positive physical feedback because she's an assassin. If she's hands-on with someone, it's usually not in a gentle way. Right. 
like and it hasn't been that way for her entire life yeah other than with Sam so like just her craving that kind Mm -hmm. of made me a bit sad for her and I like I did like that scene with her and Dorian even though I didn't like Dorian in either read yeah um just for her sake Dorian's interactions with her is frustrate me he he gives this like you're not like other girls vibe you know when he interacts it's like oh she's not gonna like bow and scrape to me because I'm the prince that's new and oh she has like honest conversations with me that's different I (laughs) love her (laughs) yes I um because I thought about this too and there's one scene where Selena um like kind of kicks Dorian out and tells him not to use her to uh, for his unfulfilled desire for adventure and excitement. Yeah, I, I loved that part, and because it's true that that's yeah. what he's doing, really. And okay, he thinks that he loves her, and I, I guess he it's what he thinks love is, right? Yeah. Um. So there is, you know, it's love to him. But what it, you know, I agree with you, Marissa, that it's not as genuine, you know. Yeah. Um, that it is more on this, oh, she's not like other girls. Yeah. Sort of thing. yeah. But that's all he bases his feelings off. He doesn't know anything about her. Right. Right. And that's why we don't buy into it. All he's saying is that um, he's excited by her because she's got a smart mouth mm-hmm. and she teases him and flirts back with him and doesn't, you know, bow at his feet, like he said. That's all he's basing it off. Right. Right. And we do see emotional development between her and Kale. Um, yes. We do yeah. see that because she tells him, I mean, I don't know if she really would have willingly given this information, but about her parents after Kane says something um, in the ring, you know, um, how she woke up in their blood. Right. How she found them. And it's like horrible situation, but she opens up to him um, throughout the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but ends up in more of a physical relationship with Dorian in this. Yeah. Until the end. When she's like, I, I'm the king's champion now. We can't be together. <laughs> that was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> He's all sad. That's <laughs> because he was just like, nothing can keep us apart. And she's like, bye. I'm gonna keep she's us like, apart. Yeah, so. except me. Bye. <laughs> oh, I kind of liked it though. I was like, yeah. It's a good call, girlfriend. Yeah. Like, good call. Actually, I've got this new job and uh, <laughs> of it, like we can't be together. So I'm just going to work and uh, <laughs> I'll see you never. Mm-hmm. I hope we can still be friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which it actually <laughs> says. That, yeah, it yeah. actually says. It made me oh, laugh so much. I'm yeah. like, oh no, you did it. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. It is. I love it. She's, oh man, that could easily be inserted into like a rom com where she's just like, I just feel like our lives are traveling in different directions and it was fun and you're a good kisser and I think you'll do great things. Let's be friends. Yes. <laughs> oh, Vicky, you made a good point about her sharing things with Kale. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. She does share that bit about her parents, which is really significant because. I don't think she actually even told Sam about her parents or anything that had happened to them. I don't think that's information oh. she shared. Oh. So that I'm makes it what. even more, I mean, 
I don't think she, I don't know that she would have shared that if Kane hadn't like outed all of that information in front of Kale, but um, right. that does lend some significance to their budding relationship, I guess, it, it, at this point in the book that she's shared this thing that's been so secretive for her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good point. Had not considered. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're right. I don't think she does mention to Sam anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. He says, I just finished Assassin's Creed, so this is fresh for me. He says, um, you'll share it with me when you're ready. And then never gets the chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. my heart. <laughs> <laughs> But he went off without her. Well, I, I just, I was I so know. frustrated. I know, I know, stupid boy. <laughs> so dumb. Get yourself involved with all of these stupid men. I'm gonna go kill this super dangerous guy all by myself. By myself. Yeah. Oh, that's so annoying. <laughs> so annoying. It, how often does that happen in books though, where they're just on the precipice of like they're happily ever after? Not necessarily in this case, but usually that's what's like all the good things are on the other side of this road. And all I have to do is cross it should be easy. And as the reason you're like a big bus is about to come and run you over. Please don't cross the road. Just don't. Okay. Don't do it. Just stay on this side of the road. Like cross when it's safe, look both ways. And you're like, nope, they're going to get hit by a bus. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so frustrating. It those is. are the scenes that I'd like to spoil for myself, Marissa. I'll happily spoil those scenes for myself so I have that gut-wrenching, like, no, don't do it. Yeah. Something that I really love about Selena's character is her ability to plan, like, her ability to plan things. She's brilliant when it comes to, put, like, playing the long game and planning stuff. And we don't see quite as much of that development in Assassin's Blade, but we start to see some of that coming out in this book, which I love. Um and we see that with her a little bit with her plan for defeating the Ritterac. Like her, her strategy is brilliant. So it's, it's like she's in the room. The Ritterac's going to come kill her. She's like, all right, going to come up with this super dangerous, reckless plan. She just starts running towards it. Mm-hmm. I loved that. I loved Run that. into yeah. it. Yes. And then jumps over it and it smashes through the wall. It's like, yes, brilliant plan. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> super smart she's so great at thinking on her feet she's super resourceful I just I love that as a a, she's just brilliant and I always want to read more about her assassin skills so I liked that scene because of that I'm like yes show me your wonderful assassin magic show me what you can do (laughs) that scene was fantastic yes yeah and like her her plan when she saves Knox who is the only decent, well, and Paylor, they're the only decent male characters in this book because they recognize how amazing she is. And yes. I, I appreciate that. But she, she's like in that rock climbing trial and like doing really well, taking the road less traveled, which is way harder. And she sees what's his name trying to kill Knox and break his, his um, rope. And so she like, I guess I'm going to save him. She <laughs> wraps herself into this rope, threatens the guy. She, she like, commandeers somebody else's rope. And she like, you know, swan dives off this gargoyle to save Knox um, at great detriment to her. Like it's the potential to injure herself is huge. Um, she's like, all right, I'm just getting, like, she just thinks so fast when it comes to just everything it's just outstanding I kind of liked the utter disdain that we hear from her in that scene too where she's just like oh 
this is such an inconvenience. I was so busy scaling this wall, but now I guess I'm going to have to go save old Noxie. He's just swinging down there. No one else is going to save him. I loved that. I was like, <laughs> yeah, is that not women yes. everywhere <laughs> on a lower level? Like, Yeah. And then he's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, I shouldn't have even tried to save him. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I bother? I could have been first. (laughs) I don't know how she, like, she uses tar on her hands to get up there. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's just, and then when she, she like blows them out of the water with the archery competition, that's outstanding. She's just so oh she's brilliant that and when she just just is it grave that she defeats oh no it, I guess it must be someone else I can't remember who it was but where someone's just like being a smart mouth yeah and she just takes them out in like yes a second yeah and stalks off yeah and Kale's yeah. standing off to the side like you know what fair enough that's fine <laughs> like, I'm gonna yeah off yeah Yes, like, I think yes, I need more of those scenes. I yes. just want I want to see more scenes of her just being about a badass. Like I just oh, want to see it. She's Give it all to me. Ferocious. Yeah. That scene is so great too, because the weapons master is standing nearby and he's just like mouth agape. She's like, give me some real threats, some real things to be serious about. And I'll take this competition seriously. Like Yes. yes. That was so good. Yes, girl. <laughs> <laughs> It's so great. And then, so before she has to um, duel Kane, she has to duel Grave. Like that's the person she, she fights for. And he calls her a bitch and she like destroys him in two minutes. Like she just takes him down and she, and this is one of my favorite quotes in this story. She says, my name is Selena Sardothian, but it makes no difference if my name is Selena or Lillian or bitch, because I'd still beat you no matter what you call me. And then she drops a handkerchief on his face. I'm like, I died. I am deceased at the boldness of this woman. Oh my gosh. That handkerchief move was... Yes. It was brilliant. Yes. From here on out in my life, whenever (laughs) someone badmouths me, I will have a handkerchief (laughs) present and I'll drop it on their face. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) My boss is going to be real affronted by that. I can't wait. (laughs) The handkerchief is like the early century version of the mic drop yes it's it's true (laughs) (laughs) i'm can i'm gonna fangirl for just a second about how great nahemia is i have um approximately four points to make (laughs) 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 so first of all I'd like to say I love how bold she is, especially when people give her a hard time and tell her she can't do things. And she's like, am I not the princess of Ilway? <laughs> like, I do what I want. Get out of my way. I love that. And then also like her friendship with um, Selena. I love that for Selena just because, oh, her um, forays into friendship with other people have been so um awful and she's experienced so many bad things and so for me it becomes like it just 
after reading the story about Ansel and what happens in, in the Red Desert, when she when Selena feels like Nahemia has betrayed her, that just lends so much more gravity to that situation because she felt like Ansel was her friend and she trusted her. And she was so massively betrayed by her. After Selena is poisoned by the Ritterac and she has this really sweet moment with um, with Nehemia, where she's taking care of her. Nehemia says to her, I name you Alentia. I give you this name to use when other names grow too heavy. Um, I name you Alentia, spirit that could not be broken. Like I was emotional. Yes, yeah, I was beautiful. Yes. I mean, it was it was just such a lovely moment for them and I, I love it for Selena because she's found someone to lend her support and that's not something she's had for a long time and and I, I like that as well because um, Nahemia is able to recognize these things that have happened to her in her past but she's not like she doesn't try to ask her a lot of information about herself or she's not demanding of information from Selena she just kind of gives her the space to share that if she's comfortable with with it so I love the instant connection that um, Nehemia and Selena have when they first meet. Yes. Because if you've ever had a best friend, you can so relate to that where you just see someone and you meet and like there's just a slight bit of banter, a slight bit of back and forth and both of you are like, you're now my best friend. Like, <laughs> Yes. I think I may have found my soulmate. We belong together and then off you go. And that's exact. That's kind of reminds me of what Nehemia and Selena have when they first meet, where they just look at each other and they're like, "I like you." Yes, totally agree. I love that um, uh, Selena can speak. So it's just called Elway. They don't Il-way. say like, oh, Ilwayan. Ilway. Ilway. Yeah, they don't say like Ilwayan or anything. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> They just called it, Il- but anyway, okay. The language of the people of Ilwe. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, that <laughs> um, they can speak that they kind of are able to cut out, um, you know, Dorian and Kale and um, Caltane, right? Yeah, all yeah. of them. I love that scene. Yeah. Especially because they're so surprised that she knows the language. They're like, oh. How do you know that? Yeah. Again, just goes back to underestimating Selena. But it is, it's a nice, I mean, it's that, like, that connection that you were talking about, Stacey, where it's like, they'd have this moment where it's like, okay, this is it. We're friends from now on. I love that. But again, why are they so surprised when Selena can do anything at all? Yeah. I love uh, the symbolism that's associated with Nehemia giving her staff to Selena to use in that final duel. It's, it's, I mean, I just, I love the, I love positive female friendships in literature period in, in life too. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the symbolism of her giving that staff to her to use, it's just, I mean, it's a small, um, it's a small act of rebellion, but it means so much because they're using this, this weapon that's been crafted by the people who are resisting the king and it's wielded by the person who is the princess of the people um, to defeat a champion who was selected by the king's right hand. Um, And then we have the staff being broken. Um, 
and it, it seems like a moment when all hope is lost because she's left with the, the useless end of the staff after it's broken and she's hallucinating hardcore. And so she's like, I mean, it's like this moment of like, there's no hope at that point, um, mm-hmm. which I think you could probably ca- uh, like relate to the people of Ilway who, I mean, and especially like the slaves who've been captured by the King of Adderlin who, who are worried about that loss of hope or defeat by him. Um, and so maybe that's like symbolic of the king's attempt to break the people. And then Nehemia, like literally saving Selena from the, the, the evil, the evil with the, the word marks that she's able to use. And then the resurgence of Selena using her strength and using the broken weapon to overcome Cain. It's just, there's just so much. And maybe I'm pulling some of that out of the air, but it feels like such a symbolic scene and no, I, oh, I think you're I right. Loved I, it. I love that, like, Kale had his little moment in that scene, but it was mm-hmm. the friendship that she had with a female that saved her, not the men, yes. not the boys who are vying for her attention or what have you. It was, other than just herself being able to get up and keep fighting, it was her, the help that she received was from you know it was from her friend who was a female and I love that I'm with you I love reading positive female friendships and stories I hate it when one is set up and then that female betrays them like that really hurts me deeply when that happens and um yeah I love um Nehemia for this I was so confused by this scene when um Nehemia is doing her like magic stuff is everyone else just unaware of it what's happening there I don't know. Well, Dorian says that she's like thrashing around on the ground. So I think that's all they're seeing. Right. So they're just all absorbed with that and not Nehemia in the background, like essentially casting spells. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what's going to draw your attention more? The person like writhing on the ground or the person like standing in a corner? Yeah. Kind of inconsistent. Good point. Good point. Can't talk. All of these men have no honor. It's really obvious that something is happening. Like people don't just thrash. Like even the king, he's like her emotional display at the end after she's been like poisoned and hallucinated. Like, are you joking (laughs) right now? (laughs) Like none of these people are calling out the situation. Like obviously something has happened. People don't just thrash around and hallucinate and wave their arms around for no reason. So it's really obvious that this situation has been tampered with and nobody's calling an end to it dirtbags they're all dirtbags <laughs> they just assume it's a tantrum like, yeah. Yeah. she's like I'm about to lose maybe she's on the floor that's it <laughs> <laughs> that female hysteria is coming through oh god <laughs> so when she finds the escape route right yeah she realizes she could escape and then she decides not to Mm-hmm. And because it could get other people hurt. And it's been like said in, it was said in Assassin's Blade. And I think it was said at some point in this book too, that she's selfish. And we see her kind of grow here. Cause we do, we definitely see it in Assassin's Blade. Um, she can be very selfish, mm-hmm. but we see this now making this decision to not run away and save herself because it would have negative impact on others even though some of the people are the ones who are like kind of keeping her hostage in a way, you know, like they're her friends, but 
through circumstance. Yeah. She has such a sense of honor. Yes. And I, I think that that puts such an interesting contrast to the other characters in the book, like the king and like the other nobility, the people that you would think would have like a, a high sense of honor. I'm, maybe I'm overestimating nobility. I don't know. But it seems like people <laughs> like that would have some sort of like sense of honor and just like due process and like, I don't know. And they don't. And Selena's sense of honor in doing things that, I mean, the appropriate way or helping others or not doing things that are going to negatively affect others. I think it sets up a nice contrast between this person who had traditionally you would think would be, I mean, assassin, you would think like, that's probably a bad person versus these other people in nobility who you would think, oh, they're probably good people um, when it's the reverse. She's a great person, even though she murders people and they're awful. I agree. I, the whole time reading this book, especially my first read through, it baffled me that someone, if you were, if you were in a death camp for a year and you were starved and beaten and whipped and made to work and tortured and all the rest of it and chained that entire time as well. Mm -hmm. And then the people that belong to the court that sent you there in the first place came and said, you're going to be a champion for us now. There's no way that you would, I, I don't know, I disregard all honour that I had. I'd be like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to escape. Any chance that I get, I'm out of there. I'm going to escape. I'm not fighting for you. I'm doing nothing for you. Like, I've spent a year in hell. So, again, I think that's kind of highlighting our character. Anytime in um, Assassin's Blade or in this one where it made reference to her being bratty or selfish, for a second, I'd go, yes, she is. And then I'd be like, wait, no, she's not. <laughs> like, no, let's disregard that. That was what's so fun about this story is when you find, um, especially if it's a female protagonist, but you find a protagonist that you just so badly want to embody, like you just want to be. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Don't want to be an assassin. Don't want to be in a death <laughs> camp. <laughs> Don't want to scale walls with Tar. Don't want to come up against Kane. But I just, yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. I do kind of want to learn how to use daggers and swords. Yeah, I do want to do that. <laughs> cool. I want to do that. I want to drunk. I want to drop handkerchiefs on people. I want that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to have the audacity to speak the way that she does, um, because. I like to pretend that I have a lot of boldness about me, but I don't like if I'm in a confrontation, I'll probably just like concede and cry. Yeah. Internalize it later. Yeah. I want, I want the spirit of Selena without actually having to do any of the things that she there does. There we go. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Trauma. No. You can keep all that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? Her playing the piano music oh yeah yeah I love that scene although Dorian just kind of like intrudes definitely <laughs> does he's like oh I didn't know you could play the piano <laughs> of course you no didn't. you hadn't bothered to ask had you <laughs> you didn't know anything about her <laughs> <laughs> but, I love this 
yeah, I like seeing her connect with music because you don't really see her as like, or she doesn't really present as a very emotional, right? right? She's very snarky and stuff when we see music kind of changes her. Did you like Sarah, like, did you like the explanation for that that was given as well when she's sort of explaining to Dorian, like, why she doesn't like playing the piano for people? That was kind of nice. Like, she's an assassin, right? She has to be on guard all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to, play the, to play music, it kind of takes her away from all of that. And she can't afford to be, to let her guard down around people. There's too much at stake. So mm-hmm. I kind of liked that explanation of, you know, the reason that she only plays by herself or that she's hesitant to play around other people is that it's too risky. Like she can't afford to, she has Mm -hmm. to keep her guard up. She has to make sure that she's protecting her back. Like Dorian was able to walk into her room and sit down with her and she didn't even realize until he Mm -hmm. spoke. So I kind of liked, because at first I read that and went, but you're an assassin. You didn't hear him come in the room and then sit down right next to you. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. later on, it kind of explains that, that music kind of transports her away from that. And that's why she can't afford to play around other people. That's a really good point. Gosh, that would be such an isolating life, you know, to not ever be able to put your guard down, to always be distressful or looking for escape routes or, I mean, looking for things that you can turn into weapons. Yeah. And it would just be like a level, like a high stress level all the time. And Nehemia makes this a point about her, uh, about how she, she experiences all of these things, but she doesn't let it make her hard. Yeah. That was a nice quote, actually. <clears throat> and she definitely, I mean, with the with the level of trauma that she's experienced, I could see allowing that to make you hard. Absolutely. She has, all, Selena has all the makings of a villain, doesn't she? Yeah. She has for it. She's been yeah. trained to kill people. Um, she's paid money to murder people. She has the makings of a villain, yeah. but she chooses not to do that. And she, even though she's been hurt over and over like she still is willing to become friends you know like um so Ansel and Assassin's Blade talked about it betrayed her but she's still really um willing to open up to Nehemia um she keeps trying I mean maybe a part of it has to do with her youth as well right but she's been hurt a lot before you know she's been surrounded by people who just kind of want to kill her and all hate her like pretty much her whole life because she was the favorite her one friend basically betrayed her you know um but she's still there there's there's one quote where she was like i have to believe that people are still good like there's good in every like yeah they're still good out there yeah knowing what's coming and that sort of thing yeah all right are we ready to talk about our favorite quotes yes let's talk about quotes okay all right so i feel like we have to share this one because it's on all the (laughs) throne of glass merchandise and it is a really good quote. Um, but Elena says to you, Selena, you could rattle the stars. You could do anything if only you dared. It's a really popular quote, as it should be, because it's a really great quote. Um, I and agree. I, yeah. Popular for a reason. Yes. Yeah. And it, I feel like it's kind of a moment of, foreshadowing for her just because that I mean it she could do anything and she does even in like in this book she does so much but now that this is the reread and we know where things are going like she she does so much 
Vicki, what's your favorite? Do you have favorite quotes? Uh, yeah, I picked one. Um, well, I had picked two and you took it from me, but that's Sorry, fine. not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you have such a habit of that, Marissa. But mine actually is um, part of like what you said originally, the uh, conversation that Nehemia is having with um, Selena when she gives her a name. Uh, mine's uh, part yeah. of that conversation. So um, it's, it is what, it's what lies inside of you that matters. I know what you went through in Endover. I know what my people endure there day after day, but you did not let the minds harden you. You did not let it shame your soul into cruelty. That kind of also piggybacks on everything we were just saying. Yeah. <laughs> About, um, you know, she has the makings of a villain. She could have turned to cruelty and she didn't. Yeah, I love that. Mine was also from um, Nehemia. I just loved it when she gave her Alentia as an as that name in that moment where she said, I give you this name to use when other names grow too heavy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Selene is the type of character where names matter to her. She's yeah. been so many different, she has to be so many different people. And her whole story is kind of about her identity. I think that one was really important. Agreed. Uh, such a powerful scene. All righty. So I think we're ready for our final thoughts. Stacy, do you have any final thoughts on this book? I just, I, I'm, the second time I've read through, I'm surprised by, first of all, why did I ship Kale in my first <laughs> read? And secondly, why didn't I ship Nehemia and Selena? Because I love them. I love them. And it makes me equal parts happy and sad that I love them as much as I do. But everything that we just said about Selena, um, I know to be true in the next books as well. Like she has reasons for her flaws. She should be a villain by all counts and she isn't. And that's why I love her. She can still manage to see the good in people. She stands she manages to get back up again and again when she really shouldn't I by all counts would have been a villain by now like a long time ago Mm -hmm. I would have turned into a villain or I would have just admitted defeat anyone would have that's uh, like that's what you look for when you're reading fantasy you look for that protagonist that can just defy those odds so I love Selena yeah agree I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that with my final thoughts and say yes same She's just so, I mean, she's just so ferocious and um, capable and she has all the potential to be just a nightmare and she doesn't let, I mean, the, the experiences that she's had, she, she learns from them and she allows them to shape them, but she doesn't allow them to harden her. And I love that. Uh, this was so good on the second read. Like I just, I still felt all of the things and had a greater appreciation for them the second time around. So. Vicki, what about you? Same. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to add to that. Yeah. It's hard to add to that. But yeah, the second read, I really enjoyed it, uh, obviously. Um, but like I said before, one of my favorite parts is really getting to see like kind of the Easter eggs, right? That she hides, yeah. that um, Sarah J. Mass hides in there. Um, there's a scene where, um, Selena wakes up and there are like all these flowers around her. This is on their way from 
uh, from the salt mines to Riftold, I think. And we're like, oh, like it's just kind of like in there, but we know now what it symbolizes. And I love being able to go back and read and see that stuff. So that was, it's such a good read. It's such a good book. Gives you a different level of appreciation, doesn't it? When you go back and read the second time. Yes. Yes. All righty. Well, that wraps up Throne of Glass. Stacey, we are so thankful for your time. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you. It has been a hoot. I'm I've glad. It. Yes. Yeah. Um, again, you should check out Stacey's uh, TikTok page. It is hysterical and fantastic. It's called, <laughs> it's called uh, Stace Bookspace, and it, it is so good. Um, so we we are super thankful for your time. Thank uh, you so much. Thanks for inviting me on. It's been so fun. Any chance to blab about books and I'm in. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we thank you all for listening. We hope that you join us. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about Crown of Midnight. It's the second book in this series. Um, and we'll, we'll just be um, covering mostly these books through the summer. So we hope you join us. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.